more time. Can we give it up for this amazing creative team? They can bring you into the presence of God and then the presence of Aerosmith. So that's awesome. You guys are great. Well, I know it's been said before, but happy Father's Day to all of the dads and the granddads. We love you and give you honor. You can clap for your dad more than once if you want to. We appreciate you. And I want to give a special shout out to my own father and mother who drove all the way down from Michigan to be here today. And so I love them and am thankful for them. Yes. And we have solved a debate in our household on who the favorite child really is in my family. Spoiler alert, it's me. So, so my brother and sister aren't here to refute that, so we're just going to go. And my dad's not denying it, so, so we'll just pretend that that's the way it is. But I'm so appreciative of my dad. I literally would not be here today if we're not for him. And I don't just mean in existence, but I mean uh, as a pastor. I, I watched as my father faithfully served the calling that has been on his life my entire childhood growing up. And to this day, he is faithful to be a pastor in good times and in bad. And so I'm just thankful for what he has poured into me. And I really believe, for better or for worse, many of the things that I do as a minister today are thanks to him and the example that he set for me. So dad, I love you and I appreciate you. And I was thinking that since it is Father's Day, and I want to also brag on my family since I too am a, uh, a father myself. And so I thought I would have the team put up a picture of the little princesses in my life. And so, yes, oh, I know. Thank you. I look great in that picture. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, they look good too. And so uh, sitting next to me in the glasses, that is my oldest. Uh, that's Ariel. She's my little genius, my little book reader. And next to her is my middle daughter, that's Abigail, and she's my little buddy. And then uh, sitting at the far end is Amelia Grace, and she believes that she is a real-life princess, and she believes that all of us are real-life servants, and so that's how my relationship works with her. And you can see by my beautiful wife, Rachel, uh, you can see where these girls get their, their looks from. But I discovered something here recently, and I'm just curious how many of you uh, maybe have similar things going on in, in your household. But I, I, I've discovered that when these girls do something amazing, like when they do something great, like in school they get really good grades, or man, they make some beautiful art project, or they do something great in gymnastics, or whatever it is they're doing, or they're so well behaved and people compliment them at church. When those things happen, they are mama's babies. Those are her little girls. Those are her little princesses. She just loves, she's so proud of them. Those are mama's babies. But when they act up, when they act bad, when they misbehave, when they don't act right, suddenly they become dad's kids. Those are my kids. And I don't know what all of you are applauding for. That wasn't an applause moment. That was a boo, you know, whatever. And, and my wife regularly reminds me when they act up that it is because I have ruined them. I have spoiled them beyond repair. And really, I blame it on the fact that my love language is gift giving. So I love to receive gifts, hint, hint. And I also love to give gifts. And I think there is never a wrong occasion to give a gift. And so I don't just reserve gifts for holidays and their birthdays, but if they're having a bad day, I think, 
they should have a gift. And I think if they're sick, they should have a gift. And I think if they're having a great day, they should have a gift. And so I would love to stand up here today and tell you that uh, it's a lie and I haven't ruined my children, but I don't want God to strike me dead. And so I'm not gonna say that because I probably have spoiled them because as a dad of three girls, I sometimes struggle saying the word no. But the older that I have gotten, the more that I realize that I can't just always give my children what they want because I also have to give them what they need. And when I think about their future and I think about the dreams that I have for them and what I want God to do in their lives and who I I want them to be when they get older, I realize that I have to start leaving behind a legacy And the legacy that I desire desire to leave to them is a legacy of greater, greater expectation of what God can and will do in their lives. A greater desire to know him and a greater desire to read his word and pray to him and have relationship with him. A greater love for people and a desire to minister to people that are outside of the church. I have a desire to leave my children a legacy of greater. And when I study the Bible and I study God's word, I realize that greater only comes through a name. And that name is above all names. It is the name of Jesus. And I wanna take some few, a few moments today on Father's Day to talk to you about the name of Jesus. Would you pray for me and I'll pray for you before we dive into the word today. Dear Holy Father, I just thank you for every person that's here. I thank you for your word and I pray right now in this moment that hearts would be open, that lives would be changed, not because I speak something great, but because of the greatness and the love of who you are. And it's in Jesus' name that we speak it and everybody said amen. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles with you today, open them up with me to the book of John. And I'm going to read a couple of short scriptures in the book of John, chapter 14, because I want to give you some words that Jesus spoke, promised, commanded to the disciples. And then after we read this, we're going to go into the book of Acts because I want to show you through the lives of the early church how this was lived out because I believe that it gives us a blueprint of how God wants us to live our lives and how all of us can leave a legacy of greater in the earth. So John chapter 14, starting with verse 12, says this, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, anyone who believes in me as Savior will also do the things that I do, and he will do even greater things than these in extent and outreach because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. This I will do so that the Father may be glorified and celebrated in the Son. I want you to notice that in this, Jesus doesn't say it might happen, it could happen, He says it will happen. And what Jesus is laying out for his disciples is the authority that they have in his name. The power that they have in his name because they are representatives of him. And Jesus says, if you ask it in my name, it will be done. Not so that your name can be made great, but so that God can be glorified and so that Jesus, men can be drawn unto Jesus. 
And when I think about this, I think about my early years in ministry. My first pastoral job was down in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. And I remember when I went there, I was under the impression that if you slap pastor in front of somebody's name and they're employed by the church, then that means everybody will listen to what you tell them to do. Turns out that's not true. In fact, none of them listened to what I told them to do. The volunteers wouldn't listen to me. The church people wouldn't listen to me. The kids wouldn't listen to me. Nobody would listen to me. No matter how many times I told them I was a pastor, no matter how many times I told them I worked at the church, it didn't work. I couldn't move them. I couldn't get them to do the things that I was asking them to do. And so in frustration, I went to my leader, the lead pastor of the church, and I said, Pastor Kevin, these people won't listen to me. And he said, okay, here's what, here's what you need to do. He said, when we've talked about it and when we're in agreement on a direction we're gonna go, when you talk to the people, when you talk to the volunteers, when you talk to the kids, you tell them, hey, we're doing this because Pastor Kevin said, this is what we're gonna do. And you'd be amazed what would happen when you say the right name when you're talking to people. All of a sudden, the same ideas I had had the week before that were not worth following, all of a sudden I mentioned his name. And everybody's like, that's a great idea. We should do that. We should do that right now, that sounds fantastic. And we may not realize it, but it's the same thing when we pray. There is no power in Paul. There's no power when you pray. Our power, our authority comes through the name of Jesus. And in him, we are able to see miracles happen. In him, we are able to see lives changed. It's through the authority that is given to us through Jesus Christ. And I wanna show you how this is lived out in the lives of the disciples. So if you have your Bibles, flip with me to the book of Acts. And while you're doing that, I wanna kinda set the stage for why this is such an audacious statement that Jesus makes. Because at this point, for those of you who don't know who Jesus is, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. He never messed up, he never made a mistake, he never made a wrong turn. Jesus was perfect in every way. And not only was Jesus perfect, but Jesus performed miracles. People were, blind eyes were open, lame men walked. Amazing things happened at the very word of Jesus. Not only did he perform miracles, but he preached these amazing messages where thousands of people would gather just to hear him speak. And now he's telling these disciples who were fishermen and tax collectors, he's saying, listen, you are going to do greater things through the authority that I'm giving you. That's a crazy statement to think that out of everything that Jesus did, we could somehow operate in greater. And yet that's exactly what he tells the disciples. Now check this out. Acts chapter three, starting with verse one. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple or the church at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now this is important because they are following a Jewish custom and they are going to pray at the hour of prayer. But what the text doesn't tell you is the hour that they miss before prayer, which was the hour of sacrifice. Because they knew that Jesus had already provided everything and anything that they need. And now all they had to do was walk out what he provided by faith. 
Can I tell some of you that are trying to earn God's favor and you're trying to work your way into heaven and you're trying to do all of these things to get in God's good graces? Jesus already paid the price for anything and everything that we could need. We don't have to work for his love. We don't have to earn his grace. All we have to do is freely receive it and then walk in the authority that he has given us. And in verse two, it says, a man who had been unable to walk from birth was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, so that he could beg alms from those entering the temple. So when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking them for coins. But Peter, along with John, stared at him intently and said, look at us. And the man began to pay attention to them eagerly expecting to receive something from them. I love the fact that because they spent time with Jesus, opportunities to bless others presented itself to them. Man, when we, when we spend time in the presence of God, it creates an expectation around us. And sometimes I wonder, what is the expectation when we as believers walk in the room? See, I have a belief that as believers, we should look different than the world. I'm convinced that if we talk like the world, if we look like the world, if we act like the world, if we're afraid like the world, if we're broke like the world, if we're depressed like the world, why would the world want what we have? That's why we have to understand the authority that we walk in. We have the authority to see situations change. We have the authority for, for, to see lives turned around through providing for. God provides. God's a healer. God's a way maker. When I walk into the room, I want people to know I may not have all of the answers, but I'm connected to the one who does. I may not know exactly what to do in the moment, but I know that if I seek him and I pray to him, God is faithful to answer my prayers. I want people to have an expectation that when I come in, the situation and the environment can change. It says this in Psalm chapter 23 and verse six. It says, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. forever. Everywhere we go, we should be bringing with us mercy and grace Letting people know that Jesus loves them, that Jesus cares for them, that Jesus has a plan for their lives, that no matter what it might look like, that we serve a God of the impossible who can make a way where there is seemingly no way. I think sometimes we come into church and we'll sing songs about how God is a way maker and, and how he's a promise keeper. And we don't understand that what we're singing about is the authority that we have in Jesus, to see situations and lives changed. And here this man is, and he has an expectation that something is going to happen. And to kind of help you understand what is taking place in this moment, all of us, I think, are probably a little bit like me when you go to the mall and you see those people trying to hand out the perfume samples and want to shine your shoes. And you just keep thinking to yourself, if I don't make eye contact... They won't know I'm here. It'll be like I'm invisible, right? 
So if you make eye contact, you know you're getting your shoes shined, you're getting an awkward five-minute massage that somehow turns into a $100 bill, right? So they know if they can make eye contact with you that something is coming their way. It's the same thing with this man. He's hoping that they are going to bless him because the reason his friends took him to the temple week after week is because they know if there's one people that are generous, it's these Jewish people, it's these believers. They're gonna bless him, they're gonna take care of him and they're gonna help him in his condition. But he doesn't get coins from Peter and John. It says in verse six, but Peter said, silver and gold I do not have but what I do have, I give to you in the name, the authority, the power of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Begin now to walk and go on walking. Then he seized the man's right hand with a firm grip and he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong and steady. You know what I always wonder when I read this passage of scripture? How many people walked by this man's brokenness week after week after week on their way to church. Well, I, I mean, I would help you out, but I gotta get to church. I gotta get my seat. I gotta go make the sacrifice. I gotta go pray. I gotta go worship. I gotta go get my coffee. I gotta go get my, listen, I would help you, but I have to get inside of the church. All the while, there is brokenness on the outside waiting for somebody with belief like Peter and John who are willing to stop what they're doing to meet the need. As believers, we should have a desire that when we see a need, we do everything we can to try to meet the need. And when Peter and John see this situation and see the brokenness, they don't do what the other church people did. Because most of the church people merely help the man survive within his condition, giving him money to sustain him while he was broken. But Peter and John didn't just want to see him sustained in that moment because they knew Jesus wanted to see him made whole and freed entirely from his condition. I learned a long time ago that broken people can only offer broken solutions. And what this world needs is people who are whole in Jesus, who can look past what people are asking for to give them exactly what they need. See, for this man, he thought what he needed was money. Money that would help him in his condition, but Peter and John wanted to give him more. Back in my college days, when I was a freshman, I joined a fraternity, and I don't wanna pretend like those were holy days uh, in my life. I spent a lot of time partying and running as far away from God as I possibly could. And I found my identity and my connection with these fraternity brothers. They liked me just the way that I was. They liked who I, I was, and so they surrounded me and covered me and became my friends. And I found that when people don't necessarily believe like you do and you don't have a strong foundation on which to stand, it can be very easy to get swayed one direction or the other. See, a lot of people don't understand this generation that's coming up and all of the issues and the problems that they have. And the truth is that most of them are struggling with acceptance, belonging, and identity. And the world is trying to convince them that they can find their identity, that they can find their connection in all of the wrong things. Because the truth is the only way that we can truly become all we were called to be is not through our sexual identity, it's not through our gender, it's by identifying as the sons and daughters that Jesus has called us to be. 
So I'm, I'm at this, this fraternity and I'm partying and it, my birthday weekend comes up. And I'm living in Chicago, so I'm already far away from mom and dad. They don't know everything that's going on. And so on my birthday, they came with my grandparents to come visit me. And little did I know that they were going to learn a lot about their firstborn son, that I had no intentions of them learning on this particular weekend. But thanks to an RA in the dorm that I stayed in, my parents found out that not only was I drinking, but I was getting drunk a lot. And I was doing really stupid things when I was drunk. And I can remember the disappointment in my mom's voice and I can remember the hurt as I talked with them and spent the rest of the day with them. And I felt so convicted and I felt so hurt, but I had surrounded myself with the wrong people. And I remember when my dad left, he hugged me and he said, remember who you are. And they left. And I didn't know what to do because I felt so bad about myself. I felt so bad about the things that I was doing. And so I called the people that I had connected with. I called my fraternity brother. And I said, dude, I don't know what to do. My parents found out that I'm drinking. I feel so bad about this. Maybe I need to make some changes. Like maybe this is God's way of telling me I need to wake up and do something different. And I remember he said to me, no, 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 no. What you need to do is come out with me tonight and get drunk so that you can forget all about it. Broken people offer broken solutions. He thought that the best thing to do for me to get rid of the pain that I was feeling was to dull it with the very substance that was causing me the pain in the first place. But I'm so thankful that in spite of him having broken solutions, that I had parents and grandparents who still loved me enough to fight for me, who still loved me enough to pray for me and to seek God on my behalf. And I am here today as a testimony of what can happen when you pray and intercede for your children. Because when we are whole, we have the solution of what people really need. Now, I want you to notice that Peter doesn't just speak a word to this man. The Bible says that after he speaks wholeness into him, he bends down and he actually picks the man up. And that's at the moment that he grabs him by the right hand and he picks him up. That strength is restored in his ankles and his legs. Jesus didn't just do this on a whim. Jesus acted out what had been modeled for him by Jesus. I think sometimes as parents, and I know I'm guilty of this, I'll get so caught up in what I'm saying to my kids that I forget that what really matters is what I'm modeling for my kids. I grew up in a pastor's home. I would listen to my dad preach every single Sunday morning, Sunday night, sometimes on Wednesdays. I mean, I was getting it all the time. And if you were to come up and ask me about some of my dad's messages, I could remember very few of them. Not because I wasn't always listening, although I wasn't always listening, but because I got more from my dad, not based on what he said, but what he showed me. I can remember coming down for dinner often and my mom would be making plates for me and my brother and my sister. And I'd say, where's dad? And she'd say, oh, he's not eating with us tonight. He's down in his study, he's fasting and he's praying. I can remember times where my dad would leave the house and he would go on walks. And I'd say, dad, you want somebody to come with you? And he'd say, no, no, I need to go by myself. 
And I would ask my mom, where, where's dad going? Why doesn't he want somebody with him? And she said, well, he needs to be alone because he's praying and he's walking and he's interceding and he's asking God for direction. And to this day, the, the way that I fast and I pray, the reason that I go on walks by myself and I pray and I ask God for direction is because of what was modeled for me by my father. My grandfather, who was a pastor, I can't remember any of his messages, but I remember in good times and in bad, he was faithful to always give God the first 10%. That no matter what else was going on, he was gonna tithe and be faithful in his tithe and offering. And to this day, I believe the reason that I am so faithful to give to God what is due to him is because of the model and the example that was set for me. Can I encourage some moms and dads and spiritual parents in the room today that if we want to see this world change, we have to start modeling a different behavior for our kids. We have to start showing them what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ completely sold out to them. So check out what happens after this man gets healed in verse eight. And it says, with a leap, he stood up and he began to walk. And he went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the very man who usually sat begging for coins at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement and were mystified at what had happened to him. You know what I love about this passage of scripture? Is that the healing took place outside of the church. And then because of the miracle that took place in his life, it led him to attach himself to Peter and John, and it led to him worshiping inside of the church. I think in our modern understanding of church, we've got it completely backwards. We think the legacy of Jesus is to build buildings and then to drag people out of their lives into church. But the true legacy of Jesus is that we would be filled up, that we would be made whole, and that we would go out and bring Jesus to people, people who are hurting, people who are broken, people who are lost and who are in need of him. I'm telling you, if we can reshift our focus and understand that Jesus' commands were not to come, his call for us was to go, if we can get to that, that's when I believe we'll begin to start seeing a revival in the earth and seeing people saved and healed and made whole. And out of that, they will rush to the church to receive all that God has for them. So this man worships and he goes out. I was thinking about this when God wrecked me with this idea. I was early in ministry and we had a church that was in the suburbs and it was all church people who had grown up in church and, and church kids and they were so well behaved and it was, man, it was awesome. And I remember one day the pastor came to us and he said, hey, listen, there are people that are hurting in the inner city of Chattanooga and we are going to go to them. And at that time, Chattanooga was a really rough place. There were a lot of gang violence. There was a, a lot of issues out there in that area. But he said, I really feel like God is calling us to go plant this church. And so we went out there and we started this, this second church. And I think we thought that if we just opened up the building and put a pretty sign out front and got the speakers real nice, that that would draw in the community, that people would just flock to it just because they saw it. And the truth is we opened and nobody came. And I realized that if we were going to win the people in this area, it wasn't gonna be enough trying to get them into the church. We were gonna have to go to them. 
And so I took a team of people who had no idea what they were doing and I had no idea what I was doing. And we just began to go out. We went to the places where the kids were and the teens were. And we just would bless them with stuff. Here's some popsicles. Here's some drinks. We're just a church down the road. We just wanted to bless you and take care of you. And as we got to talking to them and getting to know them, we realized there was some serious need in that community that a lot of these kids didn't eat three meals a day. And so I thought to myself, man, we'll get some of the church grandmothers together and they can pour four sticks of butter and some green beans and we'll see if we can get these kids into church. And so I talked to some of the church grandmas and they said, yeah, we'll come cook for those babies. And so every week they would come and they would cook. And then I realized that a lot of these kids, they couldn't afford things like video games and they didn't have a lot of that stuff. So I I begged and borrowed and took from where I could and we got all of these video games together and had this whole room filled with video games and it started to attract them in. And then we saw, you know what? There's a real need in the schools and in the education system. And I started meeting with liaisons within the schools who were trying to get connected to people and organizations in the community because a lot of these kids were failing and they were just being passed along from one grade to the other. And their parents, because of their home lives, they didn't have parents who were pouring into them and kids who were parents who were developing them and working with them on fundamentals in school. And so we got together some teachers and we said, hey, you know what, we're gonna do some tutoring and help these kids after school. And can I tell you something that a couple months after doing this, all of a sudden, weekly, we would bus in over 300 kids every single week. We had to shut down the rest of the church just to accommodate all of the kids that were coming. Let me tell you something. They were coming for the food. They were coming for the video games. They were coming for the tutoring. But they were staying because they found a place that loved them and cared for them and told them they had a future and a hope. And we introduced them to this man named Jesus who gave everything for them. If you ever wonder why when you walk in the lobby and you see all of these photos and you see all of these things of missions, it's because we understand as a church that God has called us to go to take the good news of Jesus Christ out into the earth so that lives can be completely changed. I wanna show you the power of what happens when life change happens outside of the church. If you keep reading in chapter three, Peter begins to preach a message because people have never seen anything like this before. How did this man get healed? In whose name are you speaking this? Some of the religious people got really upset about it. And Peter said, it wasn't something I did. It wasn't something I said. It was because of the power of the name of Jesus. And I wanna show you what happened because of this man's testimony Acts chapter four, I'm gonna read you one verse. As Peter is teaching and as this man is leaping and praising God, this crowd begins to form and they begin to gather. And it says this in verse four. But many of those who heard the message of salvation believed in Jesus and they accepted him as the Christ and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. You know what I realized when I was studying this passage is that in John chapter 14, Jesus says, greater things will you do in my name. And when you study the book of Acts, the first two messages that Peter preaches, more people were added to the church than in the entirety of Jesus's message. 
And I wonder if one man who was crippled and made whole, whose testimony could see 5,000 added to the church, how many could be added to the church if a couple thousand people in Hockley, Texas would take their testimony out into the world, the testimony of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's mercy, and God's love. Because there will be people in your lives that you meet that we at the church won't ever get to see. And God puts you in their lives so that you could be the one to tell them about Jesus. I wanna close with this story, this, this testimony that actually took place here at the church not too long ago. Because the legacy that we all really need is found in the name of Jesus. And I know there are some that will say, man, I don't believe healing still takes place. I don't believe God still performs miracles. I'm telling you, I have seen too much. I have seen God heal. I have seen God provide. I have seen God do the supernatural. You have come too late to tell me that we don't serve a God who still makes a way in impossible situations. Months ago, we had a young lady that was working here at the church and her stepfather was very sick and uh, he had a lot of health issues. He was going blind in his eyes and, and he, had a lot of, uh, he had a lot of issues. And he had caught COVID and he had to be rushed to the hospital. And in St. Louis, it's, it's you know, there's, there, the restrictions are still tight. And her mom called and her mom was a mess, just broken, could not imagine losing her husband. And she said, I need you to come. I need you to deal with this. I can't go see him in the hospital. I can't, I can't go deal with him. I can't go see him like that. I can't go see him sick like that. And I told her before she left, I said, you're going to have to be faith for your family. You're going to have to go in and you're going to have to speak what you know is true in God's word. You're going to have to be a rock for them. You're going to have to stand on God's promises in his word. And so she went. And a couple days after getting there, the doctors gave a horrible diagnosis. Said he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. We've done all we can do. We've tried giving him oxygen. He's not, it's not taking. His levels aren't going up. He's going to die. It's only a matter of time. And you all need to come in one at a time, and you need to tell him your goodbyes. And so her and her mom, they called me, and they said, listen, would you just pray for us? We don't have a church here in St. Louis. I know they're praying for us in Texas, but would you please, would you just pray for us? And a lot of times when people are in that situation, they just want to pray that, that, that God would give them a peace, that God would just help them as they transition out of this life. But there was something on the inside of me that said, no, we serve a God who is able to heal him. And so I began praying for them and praying that God would give them strength. And I began to pray for her stepdad and prayed that God would heal him and that God would move in his life. Well, a couple of days later, she's at the hospital and she's getting ready to tell her dad goodbye. And she texted me and she said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here with my stepdad and he's scared and he's wondering if you'll jump on the phone call and pray with him. He needs somebody to pray with him. And I said, sure, yeah, call. She calls me, I jump out of a meeting and jump on the phone and he's hard of breath. He can hardly get the words out. And I said, hey, we're gonna pray and we're gonna believe that God is gonna heal you, that the levels and the numbers that need to come up are gonna come up, and the numbers that need to go down are gonna go down, and we're gonna believe that God is gonna perform a miracle so that you have a testimony of his goodness and his favor and his love in your life. 
And can I tell you something? I stand up here today. This is the doctor's note that was given on the 24th, saying that he was not going to live, that he was not going to make it, that there was nothing that he could do. And let me tell you something, after we prayed, I have another doctor's note that said he was healed, he was whole, and he was able to go home. And this is a letter from her mom telling me that this was a story of God's love and his goodness and his mercy in his life so that his children and his children's children would know that God still heals, that God is still able to make a way where there is no way. And I wanna tell some people today who may be in here and you may be dealing with impossible situations where people have told you it's too far gone, it's never gonna turn around, it can never be fixed, it can never get better, God can't heal it, God can't do it. Let me tell you something. God is still a healer. God is still a provider. God is still a mender of what is broken for those who would just step out in faith and receive it. Would you all stand up on your feet as I get ready to close? Sometimes people will ask me why I get so excited and I yell a little bit when I talk about the word of God. I don't know how as a believer you can hear about his goodness and his favor and not be excited and not wanna shout and not wanna thank him for all that he's done in our lives and for all that he has yet to do. I'm gonna ask, we have, some, we have some prayer team leaders that come and stand up at the front and I'm gonna ask the, that those that are on our prayer team that you would come now. And in a moment, there's gonna be an opportunity that if you need prayer, they wanna pray with you. They wanna believe with you for whatever you're believing God for. Listen, I love how this man was made whole and how he was healed. But the real blessing was the work that was done on the inside. The greatest gift that you can receive on this Father's Day is not a grill, it's a relationship with Jesus because he's the one who makes us whole. But I wanna pray before we dismiss today over some impossible situations. I tell people, if you ask me for prayer, I'm gonna pray believing that God's gonna heal. I'm gonna pray believing that God's gonna move. I'm gonna pray believing that on this on the other side of your test, there's gonna be a testimony of God's goodness. Why? Because it is our testimony that not only tells the goodness of God, but it sets people free. And we have a world that is broken and in need of a savior. And we've got it. We've got the good news. We've got the truth that they need. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place, and you need prayer, I'm gonna count to three. And all I'm asking you to do is to put your hand up in the air and I'm gonna pray for you. But then I'm gonna ask at the end of service for you to take a step of faith and come up here so that some of our prayer team can pray with you. I'm telling you, God can make a way where there is no way. He is the God of the impossible. His word says what is impossible for man, nothing is impossible for God. If you need prayer today, whether it's healing, whether it's financial, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your mind, we're gonna believe that God's setting you free today. Are you ready? One, two, three.
I see those hands all over this place. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are a healer and a provider. And I speak now over every life that is in this room, for every hand that is raised and for every hand that should have been raised. Father, it says in your word that by your son's stripes we are healed. And so I speak healing over them right now from the tops of their heads to the soles of their feet. Father, if they lack anything, I speak provision and abundance. God, not so that they can have more, but God, so that they can give more. Father, I speak over some minds today that are hurting with depression and suicidal thoughts. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I declare you are a child of God, and I speak peace that your word promises passes all understanding. And Father, I thank you for the work that is already happening in this place. I thank you, God, that your people are leaving this place whole from the tops of their heads to the soles of their feet. I thank you that we are changed and we take the testimony of your goodness into this world. In Jesus' mighty name, and it's in his name that we speak it. If you receive it, say amen, amen, amen. God bless you, church. We love you.